Welcome to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, speaker, and consultant Michael Kitsis to hear stories of how leading financial advisors navigated the inevitable challenges that arise on the path to success and get insight from leading industry consultants about how to break through to the next level in your advisory business. And now here's your host, Michael Kitsis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 313th episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is John Stokes. John is the founder and CEO of John Stokes Financial, a hybrid advisory firm based in Irvine, California, that oversees more than $400 million in assets under management for 1,800 client households. What's unique about John, though, is how he's built an expertise in layoff transitions and leveraged corporate layoff workshops that large firms hire him to come in and deliver to their soon-to-be-laid-off employees to build a niche focus in helping employees go through their layoff transition and capture the inevitable rollover and other financial planning opportunities that arise along the way. In this episode, we talk in depth about how, as an expert in layoff transitions, John has leveraged relationships with a number of large companies in California that are required to meet a California state law mandate to notify and prepare employees for a layoff 60 days in advance to create his niche focus counseling employees through those layoffs. How John established and built his relationships with large companies by pitching the importance of understanding the rules for navigating unemployment insurance, not focusing on 401k rollovers directly, so that he could offer a truly needed value for the companies seeking to make their layoff transitions go as smoothly as possible. And how despite what is traditionally a cyclicality to layoffs, the reality is that there are so many large companies in the U.S. going through change and competition that layoffs are inevitable these days, which means John has been able to achieve a steady stream of over 100 in-person workshops a year and a steady flow of new clients in both bull and bear markets. We also talk about how during the early years of John's career at a broker-dealer, he was inspired to work solely with those going through various stages of layoffs after he realized that he could entirely avoid cold calling and consistently meet with hundreds of prospects at a time during workshops to generate a high referral rate. Why John insists on not being compensated for his workshops is he feels it's his duty to provide goodwill and help people through trying times and uncertainty, knowing that inevitably some of them are going to need help to engage further. And why John takes the time to ensure he hires advisors that are motivated by their willingness to help people and greeting clients with deep empathy in order to maintain a firm culture and the skill set necessary to help clients through their difficult and stressful layoff transitions. And be certain to listen to the end, where John shares how witnessing his father go through a layoff in New Zealand after a multi-decade career at a single company and experiencing two layoffs himself early in his own career helped John see the value in focusing on people going through layoff transitions because he could connect more deeply with his clients based on those personal experiences. Why the effects of the pandemic on John's in-person meeting cadence gave him time to realize that he had an opportunity to further deepen client relationship by providing more financial planning as a value add as prior to the pandemic, his client relationships had been more transactional. And why John feels it's important for advisors entering the financial service industry to find their inner passion as soon as possible as it not only helps to develop a more specialized focus, which John feels is invaluable to surviving the industry, but it also creates better opportunities for advisors to use their knowledge and skills for the betterment of society and themselves. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with John Stokes. Welcome, John Stokes, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Well, thank you, Michael. Nice to meet you. I am so looking forward to the discussion today. And 
what I, I think to to me is both a uh, like a really unique um, business and, and growth channel that you created for yourself, and one that candidly, I'm I'm not quite sure it's so unique that you seem to be the only one who has who has stumbled upon this. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's there's a saying in our industry. I I I remember it most directly from Mitch Anthony, who always has this wonderful gift gift for words. And then the the statement I'd always heard from Mitch is, when life goes in transition money goes in motion. Mm-hmm. And and the idea of it is this recognition that when people go through life transition events, it, it tends to be very disruptive for what they're doing with their money, what they're doing with their finances, and otherwise known as opportunities when financial advisors tend to get hired and engaged. And so, so many of us in the industry have spent years building around transition moments of, of which one of the biggest has always been when when people are leaving their businesses that we leaving their work so retirement is a big one because money comes out of 401k plans and there's rollover opportunities and liquidity events for business owners are a big one because you know a transaction happens and there's dollars and there's change and the transition underway but you know there there like there is a third way that transition comes at work right i can i can i can mm-hmm. retire I can have a liquidity event because the, the business is sold, or I can get laid off. Right. And no one seems to really focus on the layoff part of how those transitions happen, except you, John, who has a wonderful <laughs> website that literally says on the homepage, wealth management for professionals in transition, helping you find certainty in uncertain times, you know, uniquely qualified to serve those experiencing job losses. That's right. And and so I'm I'm excited to have this discussion of like what you know, I'll call it like you know the third leg of transition out of work. <laughs> how, how do you end out in this world where you're specializing in people that are getting laid off? Like how how does that come about? Well, Michael, yes, indeed, I've heard that saying "money in motion." But I took it a little bit further and looked at it as more people in motion. In, in okay. other words, retirement essentially is a one-time event. All right, you you wait until yeah. a certain point in your life and, and you retire. Whereas a layoff seems to be common practice, and certainly happens. I mean, you know, it's happened to me twice in, in preoccupations. And so, not only did I feel that there is indeed a niche for me at that point, and, and so as soon as I got into the business, you know, I work with a Fortune 100 company, if you would. Um, they put me through that grooming stage where I had to come up with my list of, you know, I think it was a hundred, you know, a hundred friends and family. Yeah, hundred friends and family that you could, you could call <laughs> on. Yep. So I, I started in the insurance world as well and, and had one of those, had one of those journeys too. Okay. And, and, and for me, um, you know, I came from New Zealand. I came to this country knowing very little people. I had no family. Uh, at that point in my life, I would have, not being the most friendly person because, you know, I was trying to build my life, get things going and kind of had that individual mentality where, okay, John's got to get this going, got to succeed. So when I started the business as a financial advisor, I immediately wanted to do something that was impactful. That 100 list, everybody else was doing it. Why should I do it? Okay. So um, it it was like this awakening. It was this, it, it was, as soon as I got in the business, I started making those calls to the fans and Frammy. I had the opportunity to do a layoff. A, a friend of a friend asked me to go to this manufacturing plant in Orange County, California. And there must have been 
four, 500 people in this manufacturing plant. They're all getting laid off. So here I am in front of these people, not knowing anything really about what this all means. And I'm expected to talk to 400 people about what it means to get laid off and what sort of financial things you have to prepare for during a layoff. And I thought to myself, boy, this is going to be interesting. I can go back to my then branch manager and show him a list of 400 people that now that can be added to that, fam- uh, that family and friends, if you would. Right, right. Like what, a, what an opportunity to get in front of an audience of 400 going through a transition right. where like I can provide them value. I get, I get names. Like I got, I got a month or two of people to call on. Oh, sure. I mean, at least I had names, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, I looked at the opportunity of, you know, 401ks and the rollover opportunity. But more, more questions were coming about from these people. What should I do with my health insurance? What is COBRA? Um, what about my life insurance? You know, is, is that going to go with me or not? Um, these folks had a pension. So all these different questions were coming about. And so I sat down with my branch manager and he says, yeah, okay, John, if you want to deal with people, they're getting their pink slip and this is what you want to do, eh, you know, I guess I have to support it, right? <laughs> so and he was, branch manager was not upbeat. No, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't happy with this at all. Prior to me stepping into the financial service industry, I had a stopover, I call it, with a very famous country club and I was servicing you know, the, the rich and famous, if you would. And it's it was called the Beverly Hills Country Club, and still is, actually. So I was amongst some influential people. And, and as I'm going through the interview process with this company, they were, like, very excited about the opportunity of uh, putting uh-huh, on seminars. Scott, you have any friends still over there, John, that you could go back and call on now? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, I sure do. Uh-huh. Over, the years, over the years, some of them became clients, if you would. But uh, no, it was very interesting. And as I did my research, Michael, there wasn't any firm out there that really specialized in a person getting laid off. Now, we don't use that term laid off. It's actually transition. The okay. word laid off kind of has a negative connotation to it. So over the years, we've kind of added that transition word in there and trans, you know, so as they go through, I mean, we've got clients that have gone okay. through two, three, four, five transitions in all the years that I've been servicing their. Uh, so, their so that's like the, the language, even just from the website, like we work with people in transition facing uncertainty. We work with those who are experiencing job losses, right? Like this is that's right. something that happened to you that we're going to work on and cope with. That's right. You know, and, and go through a layoff myself uh, prior to being a financial advisor. In fact, as a financial advisor, I was laid off from uh, a broker dealer at one point, you know, and that, that takes on a different kind of conversation mm-hmm. in itself. But be as it may, my father worked for a company for 44 years, you know, back in, back in New Zealand, 44 years with the same company. Wow. And he went through a layoff. Now, at the time, I was 17 years old. It, it, it didn't burn a hole in my heart because I really didn't understand the whole dynamics behind it. But, you know, no sooner did I start helping people in this layoff situation, I realized, number one, you've got to have empathy. you got to have a deep empathy. You can have all the knowledge in the world. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't got that empathy to be able to sit down with them, have a heart-to-heart, tell them there's life after what they have there in the layoff situation, that was the key, I think, to my immediate success. 
is I understood that. I had that experience and it really burnt a mission inside my heart to go, all right, these people, my branch managers, you know, mentioned that I shouldn't be servicing them, that I should be going on to bigger and better things, if you would. Be, and be, because his view was like, fat, you manufacturing plant workers aren't going to have enough money opportunity for you. Like, you're, right. you, you, John, you got to call in your old country club uh, 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 acquaintances, stop, stop talking to people at the manufacturing plant. Precisely. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and so obviously out of 400 people, I picked up, you know, quite a handful of uh, clients there and, and, you know, they had smaller rollovers. I mean, but when I first started, boy, I was, I was excited if I got a $20,000 rollover. That was, if I brought that back to the branch manager, I, that was the oh, yeah, yeah. Had- 20 plus years ago, I mean, a $100,000 client was a big client. Oh, you would, I would never come across it. Yeah. And if I did, they would normally be at the big brokerage houses, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and doing business with their their financial firms they had in place already. So, you know, I, I, I did that first presentation and I thought to myself, if nobody else is doing this, let me go at it. And so I started basically – Cold calling. I, I would call companies and go, hey, you know, I went to XYZ company. I did a whole presentation. And, oh, John, I heard this pitch before. You just want to come in and talk about 401ks. Well, actually, I don't. I want to come in and talk about unemployment insurance. What? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have expertise in unemployment insurance. Well, why? Oh, because if they get their unemployment insurance, uh, to your point earlier, we were trained that you got to get that rollover money. I'll get right. that. But what value can I bring in this case where nobody else is doing it? So I started to um, learn about the unemployment insurance, learn about the dynamics behind that. And once somebody got unemployment insurance, they were able to get other services that were very useful for getting somebody through a transition. So that became my expertise very quickly. and. It's been my expertise every day, all day for 20 years now. So, so help me understand a little bit more about this space and just like what, what you're teaching, sharing with them. Because I'll confess from my end, like my, my knowledge on unemployment insurance is quite shallow because I, I, don't, I don't live that space, right? We, for better yeah. or worse, we, we tend to live more on the income and asset side than the, than the loss of income uh, That's right. unemployment insurance side. So like- what are you teaching? Like, what are you covering that that you know that that has this kind of impact and connection to the people that you're talking to? Well, the 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 initial thing is is in order to collect unemployment insurance, you have to be laid off. If you leave your employment because uh, you know you wanted to make a job change, you're not entitled to unemployment insurance. That the only way you get that is through the layoff scenario or company okay. closure, if you would, and. Completing the application process can be rather intimidating for the majority of people. You know, they're asking you questions on why did you get laid off? Um, what has been your salary history? I mean, your people know that for the most part, right? Um, but getting them through the unemployment insurance is what we call the door opener to getting other services, such as, Michael, over the years, there's been mortgage assistance. Uh, the state of California had a program where you had to have unemployment insurance before you could enroll in the mortgage assistance program. The mortgage assistance program got to the point where they were paying your entire mortgage uh, up to about seventy thousand dollars 
was the maximum amount, but that's you know that's, that's a good amount of money. Yeah. Furthermore, once you're on unemployment insurance, there's this whole training programs that the federal government have in place where you can go get training, make a career change, and it doesn't cost you a cent, but you have to be on unemployment insurance, right? So, so that's finance to me. That's financial advice. It's my responsibility as a financial advisor that if I'm dealing with with my candidate, which happens to be in transition, I've got to know all sides to that. Not just about the rollover. Not just about should you elect Colbert versus now called the marketplace. Uh, how do you deal with that severance? For example, in California, you can collect severance holiday pay, vacation pay, um, exercise those stock options and collect unemployment insurance simultaneously. Many other states don't allow that. So Mm. I had to become an expert because I've gone beyond California. For many, many, many years, California was my, my, my playground, if you would. Now I'm licensed in every state because all these companies, all these people out there now know me as the expert. They contact right. me and say, John, we want you to do a presentation for a company out of uh, New York or, or Alaska and so on. So uh, the unemployment insurance is an absolute key to somebody's transition being successful and it may be in some cases unsuccessful. Right. So so now help me understand a little bit more of just the way this evolved for you as a business. So you have this realization of – all right, I like I can I can do work with people going through layoffs. There's opportunities here. If I want to do that, I gotta get in the door with companies so that I can do workshops. But you know, my unique hook isn't gonna be 401k plans because that's what everybody else wants to pitch to. Mm-hmm. Uh companies and their employee benefits people. You say, like, I'm gonna be the one who teaches about unemployment insurance, and I guess just and like try to get workshops with them that you teach their employees about unemployment insurance. Yeah it, yeah, it certainly starts with that. That that's that's my that's my front foot, if you would, that nobody else okay. delivers. Uh, so that gets me in, right, to, to most every meeting. And the unemployment leads into obviously retirement plans, uh, Cobra, health insurance, um, the the severance. How do you handle severance? Uh, can you file for unemployment insurance? You know, some of the companies that still have those pensions, um, you know, going. So so we cover every aspect of financial planning, if you would, with that front foot leaning on, let's get you through the unemployment insurance. Let's at least, before you do business or potential business with us, let's at least put money in your pocket. Let's, let's get that unemployment insurance through the system, make sure that you get it. Uh, you know, ultimately, it's not a game changer financially for most people. But over the years, Michael, it saved a lot of people's, you know, yeah. uh, homes, if you would, and family environments. So we're proud of that. That's kind of a goodwill, if you would. So so help me understand this just from the the business perspective, just like what what you're doing for free, what you're doing paid, what's in like workshop group format, what's down to the individual work that you do with with clients or prospects, like take take me through the flow a little bit of how this plays out as a company. I guess okay. you know, initially, like you get some connection to a company that says, "John, like we want you to do something with us." Right. So, so the call will come to me. Um, you know, I you know had two last week, and major companies that contact me and says, "John, we've used you before. 
Uh, one one has used us before, the other one's new. All right, let's use the one that's used us before. You know, we understand that you do these workshops, John, you've done them before. Can we use you again? Absolutely. In this case, it's a virtual uh, presentation. Prior to COVID, Michael, almost 100% of what we did was in a, a face-to-face environment, right? Okay. We would, we would, I would drive up the California coast, if you would, um, or jump on the plane if it was in Northern California, take my briefcase. In my briefcase, I would typically have um, piles of information that my wife and I had sat down during the week and done flyers, if you would, to hang out to the participants that come to the meeting. So the good thing about what we do is none of the behind the scenes I have to worry about other than just getting those packages together so I can have a few handouts. Almost 100% of these people that show up to these meetings is being controlled by the human resource department or internally at their end. So, oh, so these are these are typically attendance mandatory meetings for the companies. So like good for turnout. You don't you don't have to worry about right. uh, a high no show rate. That's right. No, uh, no show was probably close to 99.9%. If they said there's 400 people there, there's 399. One's off the side, maybe taking a bathroom break for a while, right? Okay. It was so a- very, very nice from a turnout. So if, if the company is reaching out, like if that's how it initiates, does that, does that mean literally like they're doing layoffs, they've decided to do layoffs. Correct. They're now trying to figure out their process for layoffs and they're going, oh, we should probably have someone in to talk to the employees to help them in this transition. That's correct. And then your name comes up. Like, is, is it at that level, the company, the company doesn't just say, hey, you know, we're doing occasional uh, educational lunch and learns for our employees. Let's, let's have John come in. This is a, like, we've decided to do layoffs. We need to, we need to start preparing so, to help our teams. So, Michael, I've got a few stories there. To answer the question, 90% of the time, these people know they're getting laid off. Okay. Why? Because there's a federal law that, that's called WARN, W-A-R-N, Workforce Adjustment Retraining Notification. So by law, if a company's laying off in, in, in California, for example, if they're laying off more than 50 or more employees within a 30-day period, they must notify Mm. Uh, the employees. They go let know the employees. You've got sixty days before you're going to lose your job. In that sixty day, the notification is gone out, and I'm part of a, okay. a team, if you would, and experts, subject experts that get called into that sixty day period to do those workshops and prepare them for the upcoming transition. So that's that. That's good for me because I can plan yep. around that. And then there's the other ten percent where. They're under 50. Maybe they're finding out. I'll be, I've been in cases, Michael, where I've shown up at a company. The employees are being told five minutes or 30 minutes before I walk into the building. And they're emotionally a wreck. <laughs> right? and, 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 you're, and you're on. Yay. And here we, and here we have a, a financial advisor that's going to give you financial advice. It's like, I really don't want to hear from this guy. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. So in that scenario... I become more of a, for intents and purposes, a cheerleader. Listen, I know you've gone through this layoff. This is what I do all day. I'm traveling extensively to be in front of people like you to let you know everything will be okay. You've got to make financial decisions. Put your head up. 
You have to make financial decisions. You have to go after the unemployment insurance. You have to go after these things. And that allows them at least a little bit of hope at some point. And I'll contact them, obviously, maybe days later, a week later. Hey, remember me? I was the guy there that that did the pick me up, the financial advisor. Um, so I have many, many hundreds of stories in that case. I mean, I've been to well over 600, almost 700, you know, I'm kind of loose with my numbers here, but over 700 companies in the last 20 years, if not more. So, so now walk me through a little bit more of just the process of what happens, I guess, as you go through these and, and then thereafter. So companies, you know, they're gearing up to do layoffs. They're reaching out to you to come in and do education. By the time you're coming in, at least most of the time, employees have been informed that layoffs are coming because Warren Act required them to to do so. So they they know the layoffs are coming. Hopefully, they got told more than thirty minutes before you come in, but they they know it's coming. So presumably, then they're already in kind of mental state of, okay, I got stuff to figure out. I'm looking for information. I'm looking for someone to guide me about what to do here because I'm a little freaked out about what's about to change with these layoffs. Yeah. So you come in, you do an educational session or a workshop that is very heavily around unemployment insurance, uh, I guess, and you know what to qualify and what the rules are and how to not disqualify yourself and why it's really good to do it because of the other services that you access. Right. So so then like what happens as the workshop closes and and thereafter? So I've I've learned that at least initially that if you've got 50, 100, 400 people that you have to call, that's a lot of work. So I got real, uh, I guess, sensitive with my time management because I was so busy. I'm certainly talking about, you know, all the people I was signing up. I put that pressure on the employer, meaning you know the work schedule of your employee. I will come back, put me in an office, put me in your cafeteria, but I want back-to-back meetings. I will be here for two or three days preferably in an office because we're talking about financial stuff. We want some sort of privacy. So I put all that workload on the employer. So all I'm doing, Michael, on the day off, they've got my schedule. I'll be there from nine to five. I mean, there are cases where you've got, um, especially in these manufacturing plants that I used to do initially, they're on two or three shifts, if you would, right? They're 25 operations. Right. So I, I, you know, I could be there at six in the morning, um, you know, all the way till till midnight, and, and so like workshop kicks off first thing in the morning, and then you're just there for the rest of the day, taking one meeting after another that the employer schedules with. I guess what you know they tell their employees if you want some follow up time with our with our expert scheduled through us, we'll put you on the calendar, and then you just get this flurry of one meeting after another with employees for whoever wants time with you for follow-up questions about unemployment and layoffs in the transition. That's correct. And, still, and like how long are these meetings? Just like how oh, many and how stacked are these? Uh, well, I still humbly hold the company record at 33 in one day. So I had 33 <sighs> meetings in one day. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, it wasn't out. So, so you, you I mean, that's, you're down to like – 15 you know, minutes. 50, yeah, I would say like 15, 20 minutes right. uh, per meeting stacked a whole day long. That's right. That's right. 15 to 20 minutes. So so how do I prepare? So at the workshop, I'm getting the fill out a questionnaire. You know, what do you have? What are your questions? Do you, you know, do you have questions related? So not only am I preparing kind of 
to have the information for them because in those 15 minutes, in the 15 minutes, I'm not signing them up. We're, we're not going in there and, and what you know, what what's your date of birth, first and last name, your social security number. Let's get that rollover done. That, that's not. It happened. I mean, more times than not, people will say, listen, uh, you know, I liked your presentation, John. You talked about certain things. I, I do feel I'm better off served to have my money elsewhere. Can we do the application? And typically, I would push that off unless they were like, I need to sign now. I need that peace of mind. So majority of the time you go into the meeting, it's typically no more than 20 or 30 minutes. I'm just gathering information. That's all I'm doing at that point, gathering information, getting as much as I possibly can to go back for that second meeting um so i'll be at the company for that presentation i'll do the one-on-ones if you would and then from there there'd be a handful that would say you know no thanks i have a financial advisor or i'm not ready for that or whatever the case may be Um, but there would be a, a good handful that would say john i want to work with you in the capacity of xyz okay so so the focus of this 15, 15 to 20 minute meeting, I guess, is, is a combination of, you know, what, what issues are on your mind that I can answer for you? And I don't know, people have, a, you know, uh, hey, here's my strange situation. Am I still going to get unemployment insurance or, right. you know, I've, I've got this other thing going on. How, how does this apply to my, my situation, right? Just the, the people who, who have more nuances or more complexity, so they weren't fully covered in the workshops, so they schedule a follow-up. So you're- so you're covering questions like that and just live on the spot advice, but then at the end of the meeting or at some part of that meeting, say, saying or seeding the idea of, and if you want an advisor that can work with you on an ongoing basis to help with some of this, hey, hey, I do that also. And that's correct. We can do a follow-up meeting on that if you want. And that's some correct. say yes and some say no. That's right. Okay. So do you – so I guess a couple other questions. Is there – is there further follow-up after that or is it just like you do the workshop, you do the on-sites for a day or two or however long it takes to get through all the people that, that wanted to schedule one-on-ones and and then that's it and you're off to the next the next business and the next workshop and anybody who did schedule follow-ups and maybe become a client goes through a regular new client process at that point? That's correct, yeah. And, and, and there's no – you know, over the initial beginning stages of this, there is an enormous amount of layoffs. Yeah, you know, and and in California too, with uh, the amount of companies we have, have here and just people in general, I was always busy, Michael. I had no time, no time at all. I mean, I'm talking about I had zero time to actually have lunch, if you would. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was all right. On to the next company. No sooner did I have those first meetings, I. I it was the second meeting was we're doing business. I mean, in the first 15, 20 minutes of the initial meeting, it's, it was very rare for me to go into a second meeting and and second guess myself that that person was not going to become a client. It was, you needed to become a client. I, If in that second meeting, they were giving me, ah, you know, there wasn't a warm and fuzzy. They were looking maybe at not doing, I would just move on. Because again, you're, you're, there's so much. There's so much volume. I guess the area like you're. There's so much volume as you're doing these. I mean, how, like how many, uh, how many like workshop and one-on-one cycles would you go through? I guess it's like companies. Like how many companies would you go through doing this in the span of a year? Um, I think the most I did in one year was well over a hundred. Oh um, wow! Oh no! So it, it, so was, I mean, it, it was at, at that level, you're. I mean, you're living in a world where y- you you. 
you may get to sit in front of literally dozens of prospects per week oh. on an ongoing basis. So a day. very much a world of like, <laughs> you want to work with me or move on. Like, I don't, I don't need right. to, I'm not going to chase you. Like, it's okay. If you want to no. work with me, let's go. If not, I've got like 32 other people to talk to today. That's right. No, I, I, it was, it was the second meeting was, I call the Holy Grail. Let's, let's, let's get down to business here. I, 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 you know, and back, th- back then I was trying to incorporate financial planning, going through the whole holistic approach. And well, that's, I don't have time to do that. So the first, I mean, for the first 10 years, it was all transactional, Michael. I mean, I would take your, I would take an application with me, the best technology okay. I had at that point was my mobile printing machine. <laughs> I mean, I would take that with me and spin out applications in that second meeting because I wasn't going to go back for a third meeting. And that's way, well before we had DocuSign, if you would. Right back right. in those days, you had to have a hard copy in front of you. You had to go through that with the, with, with the clients. And, you know, that took up, you know, 50% of your meeting just going through the application, if you would. I, I had to do shortcuts. I had to learn shortcuts. So for me to do the financial planning and incorporate that was near impossible. So do you do you get paid for the workshops? Like do the companies pay you to come in and do this as workshop work? Not at all. And then you Not may get all, something Michael. separate? Okay. I, to me, it's goodwill. I, that was my responsibility to do this. Nobody else was doing it. And to, you know, to my surprise in the year, you know, 2022, there's probably a handful of people I know that do it. One of them's like an ex- employee of mine, if you would, um, but be as it may, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard work. It's really yeah. hard work. I mean, there was an enormous amount of hours that I put into this, Michael, um, weekends, late nights, yeah. uh, those sacrifices, yeah. if I can use the word, maybe it's not the yeah. best use of words, but I put a lot of time in. And, and so ultimately from your end, like happy to do these workshops, not pay. Cause at the end of the day, like, I'm getting in front of dozens and dozens of, of right. prospects every week. And just if you see that many people and you help that many people, like it is just an inevitable reality. A bunch of them are going to want to work with you. Like they right. have a need and you helped them. They're That's right. going to want to continue to work with you. That's right. Yeah. So so help us understand then what that what that adds up to in terms of the business today. Like what's the current state of the business of because clients or assets or team or however however you measure it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, our internal word we use is transition and thrive. That's what our workshops are. If you look at our website, we're very clear about that. We're thriving. I mean, we're, you know, I know you're going to gasp, Michael, with, with the amount of clients that we have, but, you know, we have approximately 1,800 clients okay. um, managing just north of 400 million between the 400 and 450. Obviously, that's it's dropped a little bit this yep. year with the market. <laughs> yep. Mar- market's doing what markets are doing. Yeah. Uh, AUM numbers more volatile than they were in the past year or two. Yeah. So, so eighteen hundred clients, just north of four hundred million. So, I mean, if I if I do my napkin math, like typical client is two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars of mm-hmm. of assets under management. So, you're, I guess as uh, at least as as I would kind of envision for the layoff environment that you're in, like you get you get a pretty wide swath of pretty middle market folks, you know, I've been working for 10 or 20 years, I've accumulated some dollars, it's not enough for me to retire, which is why I'm in transition and not retiring. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I need but I need some help. And I need someone that can 
help me steward what I've got while I go through this transition. So that's that's where Stokes Financial steps in. Yeah, no, and, and you know, and obviously those numbers may be distorted a little bit because, you know, earlier on I was, you know, again as I mentioned, if I can do a twenty thousand dollar rollover back in there, I would sign them up, and that's what I would sure. look. So, legacy clients slightly smaller average, new clients slightly higher average, as yeah, many I mean, of us evolve over time. Yeah, it's not uncommon for us to see million dollars uh, accounts these days. I mean, I've kind of broken it down into what we call like an executive team. I'm on that executive team where my main responsibility is I'm kind of the internal rainmaker, if you would. Um, and it's my name. I get I get um, I get the referral, and depending on the size of that, that, that goes to a, a specific team, if you would, a specific advisor team here at the company. So, uh, so then help me understand what the overall team structure looks like. So, so there is, um, six, what we call producing advisors and there's seven operations out of the seven operational staff. Uh, three of them are actual licensed advisors. They team up, um, several of them team up with me personally to help with my book of business, to service that book of business, because you know, I've got the bulk of the clients. Um, and then the other advisors will have a, either depending on their length of period they're being with us um, and you know how much new business they're bringing in and servicing, they will have one licensed advisor or they, at least at minimum will have a full-time assistant that's helping them service that book. And so what's a, what's a book of clients for your advisors? Like, how do you, how do you think about or set targets of how, how many clients uh, an advisor can handle given your, your typical clientele? So, so that brings up what we started. So pre-COVID, we were on, we were on that treadmill. So we were doing 150, product pre-COVID, there was 150 workshops a year. That, that, that's what we were doing. We were all okay. over California. We would show up to these presentations and we would have one after the other. So it was, it was chaos. It wasn't until COVID hit, obviously, we couldn't do in-person workshops. Right. Um, that changed. We now have other formats of doing it. Obviously, in virtual is, is the new way of doing it. So we've taken a breather over the last couple of years, Michael. And looked at this and gone, okay, what direction do we need to go? How do we, for intensive purposes, make sure that these clients, as I said earlier, for all these years, I've been very transactional. Grabbing the 401ks, I'm sure, helping them out with the financial planning, based on the budgeting, the unemployment insurance. But we really never had a true client experience with the financial planning. So we hired uh, a power planner. And... His responsibility is to go into, has over the last couple of years, has gone into the book of business and identified who should be on a financial planning uh, service model. And we don't charge okay. for that. We incorporate, we incorporate that as part of the service, at least at this point. So for and us, we're going back and taking a look back in time to go, these clients need this service. Let's invite them, and we're using uh, eMoney as that platform. Okay, and and so for the clients now getting now getting more planning by services, 
if you're not charging separately, but you're going through the book, I'm presuming that's essentially kind of a clients above a certain asset threshold or revenue threshold, or just the, the business can afford to invest into the clients this way. Like that's who you target. That's right. That's great. Yeah. And so where, where do you think about setting that threshold, like just relative to your business and economics, where does that make sense for you? Uh, in, in, anybody with 250,000 of assets okay. we're targeting now. I mean, obviously we started with much higher, uh, than that, but uh, that, that's what we worked our way through. And what we have found is the amount of outside assets that we have left, bef- left behind over the years is astronomical. Uh-huh. Uh, if, if I threw numbers out, out at you, you, you would be amazed. So we're bringing a lot of those assets in. We're telling them the story. We're giving them that, that, that experience. We're walking them through the decision-making with e-money. A lot of that's virtual, and they're loving it. It's like, hey, John Stokes Financial wasn't aware. I just thought that we did the, the rollovers and a few other things. That was the extent of it. I'm loving this experience, as we are. We're loving the experience because we're yeah. getting to know the client more. So, so I'm curious because this is an interesting challenge for a lot of firms that just – a lot of us have built in a more in a more transactional volume business than as you know industry evolves we try to get more financial planning centric and and you hit to me these sometimes awkward moments of I've got this client that I may have been working with for three or five or ten years, but the reality is with a more transactional relationship i I don't know them that well necessarily, which is why there's an opportunity to go out and do planning and engage them more. Right. But then you have to figure out how to just reach out to a client that may have been with you for many years and say like, hey, you've been a client here for five years, but we'd like to get to know you better and and do more for you. I, I, so I guess I'm wondering, like, how do you roll this out and communicate it to existing clients that weren't getting the service that sure. where you want to say now, like, hey, can we do this for you right. in a way that doesn't undermine the relationship that was already there? Yeah, that's that was our initial thought process is, oh boy, are we going to shake them up a little bit, a little bit here? So It's a fine um, line between we would like to do more for you and right. we are unwittingly accentuating how maybe not as ideally connected we were to you in the first place. Well, it, it's, it's, it, it comes down to true at heart in that we apologize. Listen, for all these years, we've been very busy. You made us in transition. Um, you knew how busy we were. We're just a busy operation. We're slowing down here. We apologize. You probably didn't get the full service of what hmm. we could have offered you, but we're, we're being a busy operation. We, well, I'm, I, I grew from having one client to eighteen hundred clients. So yeah. we tell them that story, and and it's a unique story. And they 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 do know that uh, you know we're we're a firm that uh, is all about growing. So. In expressing it that way, we had zero backlash. If anything, it was, wow, thank you for being so sincere, John. I, I, I do appreciate the kind of the thought process behind that. Tell us more about what's going on there. And, you know. Interesting. So you, you, you almost kind of leaned in to own it to just say, hey, like, you know. There were a lot of layoffs. You know, you transitioned quickly. We were growing quickly. We just really haven't had the opportunity to invest in this relationship with you. And, and we recognize that maybe we missed that a little with growing so quickly to 1,800 clients. Can can we come back and do a little more for you? Right. And it's gone over 
extremely well. And certainly COVID was a big part of that where, hey, right. we're, not, we're not running up and down the state anymore and, and doing these presentations where you have met us. You know, things have, things have, you know, we've got the brakes on a little bit. We'd like to really get to know you and your family more. And they're loving it as we are. And, and so from a staffing end, it sounds like because you've already got a lot of advisors that have a lot of clients they're, they're servicing as is, mm-hmm. that the way you handled this from a staffing end is we're going to have a centralized paraplanner who's going to like grind and build and deliver a lot of these plans because our existing advisors may not have capacity. Am I am I understanding that right? And just That's the That's how do we operationally deliver on this? Yes, at least in the initial stages, the financial advisor is the relationship manager of that client. Okay. Um, the power plan is coming in more on the operational standpoint and going, all right, I'll do the hard lifting of wood. I'll get the data. We'll do the parent. We'll do the plan. You can deliver the plan, or the plan, or you know, I can be involved in that as well, if you would. So um, that, that's what we've been doing over and, the last couple of years. And does the paraplanner typically do that delivery? Um, it depends on the advisor. Uh, the the the, the paraplanner we trained in house. He actually used to be a financial advisor with us, and went on did a few other things, and then um, he came back to the firm. So we kind of like built in what we want, the communication, and depending on the advisor, uh, I want my power planner with my clients to be involved in every conversation to the point where he now leads that conversation. So so how do you think about uh, ongoing service and engaging with clients? Like is this, uh, you know, we're going out to them this time to do some planning work and get to know them better? Or is this going to be a like, and we're going to do plan updates for you on an ongoing basis. Like, how are you thinking about this as an ongoing service model now? Uh, it, it, I'll probably will end up, this is a part of my kind of practice management, if you would, and working with my coaches internally without, you know, a broken deal, if you would, is obviously we had to go through a segmentation period and figure out which one, you know, which, where is the delivery initially? What we're working on now is just bringing in all the outside business, Michael. It's astounding how much outside business there was out there that we're now bringing in. So uh, as we kind of bring that in, that's giving us a lot of work to do. So as that unfolds and when the process of that, as that gets busier, I know I'll need to build out probably more power planners, if you would, and more services that because, yes, the way that we have presented this, this will be an ongoing service that they will have with us. So, you know, I'm, I'm struck by the nature of the model that uh, I, I guess particularly in environments like like we're in lately. You know, one of the longstanding challenges and criticisms around, I, I think, just the AUM model in general is this, just the cyclicality of it, right? Like it's your you're growing in bull markets as the markets rise. You get a, a, a pullback in bear markets, which is only further compounded by the fact that clients tend to be more antsy and have more questions and often need more conversations and service in the midst of a market decline while uh, while revenue may be down. You know, I feel like the industry's discussion has always been, but hey, at least the good news is when markets are down, uh, you know, advisors that weren't serving clients will get dislodged. You have all these growth opportunities. Although I find in practice that growth still is pretty hard in the middle of of a market decline. Like a lot of clients just don't really want to open their envelopes when, or I guess the emails now. 
in bear markets, they they often don't really start moving until six to twelve months after the bear market when they right. kind of pull their pull the ostrich head back out of the sand and and look around. But I I'm just I'm struck by the nature of your business and model. I feel like you you truly have a counter cyclical model because mm-hmm. when the bear market and the recession is on, like that is the, that is the growthiest <laughs> of times when you specialize in layoffs. That's right. It's like it's the bull markets when everybody's hiring and no one's laying off that that get a little more challenging, but markets are rising. That's still not bad news. And and obviously there's always some companies uh uh that are laying off at a particular time. So sure. do you see that in practice? That like you you know, your your growthiest times come during market declines and bear markets, because just that's when layoffs pick up? Ironically, no. Okay. Pre COVID. There was never a month, ever, and at that point, so eighteen in eighteen years, I never had a slow month, because there's always mergers and acquisitions going on. California is in itself a transitional state. Companies don't want to pay the high fees as much as they, you know, used to used to, if you would. So they're leaving California. So. No, I've never seen a period, in all honesty, where it was slow. And I I always thought that was strange. To your point is, okay, John's going to be busy during – no, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, there – as I said earlier, you know, I did 100 companies one year and and maybe the following year I did, you know, 30 or 40. But that's still busy. Yeah, yeah. That you know, darn, darn. We're only seeing almost a company a week scheduling dozens of meetings and standing in front of hundreds of prospects every week. Right. To your point, we've had a bull market over. You know, we had this bull market right for you know since oh eight oh nine, and 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 you would think that John wouldn't be busy, but as I said earlier, we're doing one hundred and fifty workshops a year, so there was no there was no slowdown here, and in fact, even with my virtual meetings now. These are done across the country. I probably, if I want to set it up, do one or two every single day. Interesting. So um, that's what I found interesting initially. Uh, I said earlier, when I joined that Fortune 100 company, I mean, initially they were, you're going to deal with people layoffs, but, you know, this, this, I mean, what are you going to do when uh, there is no layoffs? Yeah, you know what? I have to ponder that idea. But for now, that's not my worry. Yeah, not not the problem. All right. So, so help me understand how this evolved from just like the actual business end. Or as you said, I mean, early on you were working in transactional uh, insurance environment. Obviously, like we we all start somewhere on our own of 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 just us. Now there's thirteen people over there between the the advisors and and operational support and licensed folks. Mm-hmm. So. I guess I'm just wondering, like, how did this transition for you in practice? Because I'm, I just, I'm envisioning as the business is getting going, and you've got this really high volume of workshops that it, like, the squeeze must have come relatively early for. Yes. Okay, it's working. I'm getting all these clients, but like, I don't have any time to service all these clients because I'm getting all these workshops. That's right. Well, for the first ten years, basically, I set up where it had to be trans- uh, transactional in that. Everything then was either a mutual fund or, you know, I think, you know, ETS were becoming somewhat popular then. So it was all commission-based. I mean, I didn't get licensed as a fee-based advisor, the Series 66, I think, until 2010. So so that 
400 plus million really started back in 2010 when I joined a, a broker dealer. Um, it was a smaller broker dealer uh, out of Florida, which I absolutely loved. Loved everybody that worked in there. They all supported my business model. It was, I mean, there was a period where I had the CFO of this broker dealer. He couldn't believe how much I was doing in the applications. And John, I've got to come out here and sit with you in one of these workshops and go through the whole process. And he did. He jumped on the plane, came out to California, I took him to one of these companies, and he was just mystified. <laughs> right? He says, but I'm going to tell you one thing, John. You've got to get out of this commission business, and the reason I'm here is because the compliance guys are having strokes up there in Florida over what you're doing here. Get yourself into the AUM model. Start building in that because over time, you're going to thank us for that. So it wasn't until 2010 when I kind of woke up, if you would, and realized that, boy, yeah, um, doing A and C shares is not the right way to go. Let me now change the kind of uh, the future of this. So that's what took place. So help me understand a little more, like what was what was compliance concerned about? I mean, I'm just envisioning like it's a broker dealer in 2010, like commission based mutual funds is kind of what most people did. So just yeah. like that was that was the environment at the time. So like why why was compliance upset that you were doing mutual fund business in the mutual fund era? I think it was more parking the bus philosophy in that John, you're okay. so transactional. You're not really going back and and and, and servicing these clients. Okay, and, and that's somewhat of a concern for us, right? Um, and, and that kind of made sense. All right, um, I can't remember what rules would be put in place. It certainly wasn't the fiduciary rule, but back then, Michael. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, the, the some of that discussion was was starting. Finra was was picking up a little more to say, like, hey, uh, well, and there were a bunch of the B share debacles then as well. So Finra was looking more and saying, like, hey, you know, some some of you are getting a pretty pretty non-trivial amount of trails in these A shares, especially C shares, like what are you doing for these clients on an ongoing basis for those ongoing trails? That's right. So this, this so so what was the idea of shifting to the fee-based side in that in that context? Was just stable? I, I mean I guess like the irony to me is if the concern is um you know this business may be too too transactional uh, you know, let's go put on a fiduciary fee-based hat is not not always at the top of some people's list at that point. So, like, what was what was the driver, the impetus to say, "Hey, we should do this on the fee-based side"? I think it was more slow down here. Okay, you're going too fast, John. This this road for everybody that you're on, that we're on from a compliance standpoint, is 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 too almost too hectic. We're you're getting an enormous amount of business in. I, you know, I think in the first four years, I signed up close to 500 clients, if you would, right? So, Wow. Okay. There, Yeah. And, and a lot of that was under the uh, non-compete I had with the, the first Fortune 100 company. So, unfortunately, I had to leave behind a lot of those clients. And they've since uh, contacted me over the years. Hey, John. Right. Some of them find you. Yeah, sure. So, but so, so you had to break away from the original company do a completely fresh start because you couldn't bring clients with you. So you went all in on workshops and and it worked. Well, well here's so, the irony, Michael. Here's the irony of that. That company that I work with, I, I did four years with them. For the first two years, they were like, oh, John's still doing this transactional business. Yeah, he's bringing in a lot of business. And then I changed branch manager. I was driving from 
Orange County up into Beverly, uh, into Beverly Hills on a daily basis. So on top of everything I'm doing, I've got this morning commute, an evening commute that would take oh. me anywhere from three to four hours. It was brutal, right? But that gave me time to at least make my phone calls to those clients right. that start, you know, say, hey, how are you doing today, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Throw, eh, throw on a headset, do some phone calls. Yep. Mo- mobile office, we called it. So um, in that third year, I went into the Irvine office and started working out there close to home. The branch manager had gone through my desk and pulled out a few business cards of centers of influence that helped me over the years. Ooh. Right. And the center of influence called me and said, John, who's this, who's this guy that's calling from your company? Wanted to bring his advisors into these companies that we all help out. And within hours, Michael, I had to make a, uh, almost a career decision to either either allow uh, the center of influence under no circumstances would have allowed anybody to go in there. The trust was with me. I had right, been right, right. for a couple of years. I was good at what I do. Why would they want to bring somebody else in there, right? Right. So, so the COI is just going like, what the heck's going on in your company, John? Like, I got a relationship with you. We're good. Like, why is someone else calling from your company to pitch some other advisor that's not you to come in and right. do what you do? That's right. And so, and so the, the manager was doing it because you're so darn successful at what you're doing and getting clients that branch manager was trying to get in on the game. Yeah, basically. I mean, we, we would have those company meetings, Marco. You remember every Friday yeah. morning, you had to sit down there and they had mm-hmm. their, you know, so, so it was Family always meeting, look at who's on the board this week. <laughs> that's right. You know, and, you know, humbly, I was typically on the top there. And, you know, the other, the other advisors wanted a piece of that action. And you can't blame them. It's yeah. like, yeah, Stokes is on the yeah. top there yet again, yet again, yet again. So, hey, uh, you know, branch manager, do something about this, right? Mm-hmm. So, literally, within days, I resigned and decided that, all right, it, it's time for me to do things on my own. And that's when I became an independent advisor. That's when I went down those channels. So, so talk to us more about the transition of being so heavy into the commission-based side in the early years through 2010 and the CEO comes out and says, John, like you got to get on the fee-based side so you can slow down a little and and be able to just dig in with clients a little more and support them more on an ongoing basis. But I know just the, like the math of that is hard. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to remember quite, quite where we were on commission scales by 2010, but I think we like, we're still in a four to five percent a oh, share sure. range then, and so just practically speaking, right? You know, going from a hundred thousand dollar client that'll pay you four or five thousand dollars on an a share to a hundred thousand dollar client who'll give you a two hundred and fifty dollar quarterly fee three sure. months from now, first yeah. quarter of May <laughs> and billing, like that's a it's a really big shift just yeah. to the to the business. So, oh, how, like, how do you how did you navigate? just the like the commissions to fee transition at that point well that was interesting it it was almost inertia in that as soon as i got licensed as a fee-based advisor my confidence level skyrocketed it's i don't know why i I guess i still today i can't explain it other than those folks that had financial advisors and they had their 100 200 300 millions of dollars you know um, we're now sitting down with me to go, oh, so you're not charging commissions. You're like my current advisor. You're on the fee-based platform. Hmm. 
I kind of would like to meet with you, John, and talk about that. So, so those higher qualified clients, if you would, were now having conversations with me. Interesting. So just yeah. they, for for better or worse, I guess like higher higher quality clients were called uh, sniffing out that you were on commissions and didn't like that you were on commissions, and when you weren't on commission, suddenly just more of those meetings and prospects were willing to talk to you. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and as my confidence level went up, I was telling that story to these companies that would basically hire me for intensive purpose going, Hey, listen, right. we'd like to segment this. I'll, I'll do your blue collar workers and we'll knock that out. But with your upper level C-suite, if you would, that's going to be a little bit more on the financial planning side, if you don't mind. Oh, that's fine, John. Long as you give the same message and you help everybody out, that's all we want out of this, right? We, and my job was going to the companies and make them look like heroes. So as the employees are leaving, they're not having negative experiences. They're having positive experience, at least from the financial standpoint. So I was, you know, instead of doing a twenty thousand dollar transaction, a rollover, if you would, now it became a hundred thousand. Okay, the numbers are making sense here. Yeah, and that's, and that's how it worked out. So, so what does the revenue mix look like? Today, I mean, are, are you still on the BD side? Is it all fee-based? Is it still a mixture of each? It's it's 98% fee-based. Okay. Very seldom are we done uh, any commission-based business if these days at all. And and so so presumably then you still live in a in a broker dealer environment for what's left on on the commission-based side, right? If it's not zero, you have to have some relationship there. Right. Yeah, we we we, we certainly do. And and so who's can I ask who's your broker dealer platform at this point? Securities America. Okay. And yeah. and and so is that a is the fee based side under Securities America RIA or do you have your own outside? No, with the RIA. And 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 so you know the the question is why I've been so busy, Michael, for all these years, and still very busy. I really have time to to step back and go. All right, what we're doing now is. Going back and looking at those those current clients and offering more service, right? That that's imperative right now. And then you know, once we do that and go through that process, it might make sense to do an RIA. We haven't got to that point yet. Okay. I love. Yeah, I'm just curious, that. even how you think about it in in that in that environment. I mean, it's one thing when like half my business is fee based and half my business is is brokerage, but we, you know, at some point the percentage has shifted enough. Just you you get new and different choices in front of you. Yeah, we know what we're good at. We are very. This firm is exceptionally good at what we do and helping people in transition. And there's business out there. That's our focus. Is we're still growing. You know, I have specific goals I want to reach for the the company and and my staff. Um, we've gone through a whole practice management advisor group. You know, Securities Americas under advisor group have an exceptional coaching program absolutely 100 percent exceptional um and so we've gone through that and that's been a major game changer for us and so that how does that work within securities america like what what do they offer what do you get when you engage with the coaching program there uh, initially and they call it next level so initially it's let's look at the business plan let's take a look at where you're at let's see what we need to do to enhance that Right, and a lot of that came, John. You've been very transactional back over the years. Let's go back to those clients and offer them that upper level service. So 
that's what we did. And in getting the outside business, um, you know, there's hundreds of millions of dollars that we now have access right. to on e-money that we're looking at every day going, John Stokes Financial would like to get some of that, <laughs> if not all of it, right? So that's, that's part of the uh, that's part of the opportunity and just in going back through the financial planning process in whole is now you actually get a handle on not just what they have with you, but what's in the entire financial picture. And if they do account aggregation and e-money, you literally get like a live real time. That's right. Here's exactly where all the dollars in the household are. Are there any others that you could be serving? Because you can see they're with an advisor not doing good stuff. That's right. Yeah. And and and, and the business that we're getting from that, I mean, we you know, I had a client that's been with me for 16 years. I had a very small account with us for, for many years. But it's receiving millions of dollars in inheritance. Um, and that conversation came about with me just going back to say, yeah, I'd like to just offer yeah. you more. Oh, well, John, by the way, glad, glad you reached out to us because we're talking with the financial firm. It was an uncle. We were talking with the financial firm where the uncle was doing business with. But gl- glad you reached out. We would like to meet mm. with you. And, uh, you know, and several of the family members have become clients with millions of dollars in assets, if you would, that potentially might not never have come our way. Right. So, and, and, so that, and so do you do you pay for the coaching offering or or it's just included for securities if you're at a, we do. a certain we, we, level we of production? For, we pay for it, but it it's it's to me it's minimal. Um, okay. uh, you you get uh, you get to talk with your coach several times a month. In some cases, more for for one hour. It's in the three hundred dollar range. To me, to me, that's worth absolutely every cent and some. Three hundred dollars per per month. Per month. Okay. Yeah. It, it, again, it's minimal. So yeah, so it's very very affordable for experienced coach conversations and these are good coaches that we're in front of obviously i think they're giving me cream of the crop you know because you know the amount of production we're doing and right right and what what level we want to go to as a firm but um, my experience has been nothing but very positive and it will put the brakes on us to say you know john it's great that you're going to grow but let's take this period certainly during covid where we can look at what's working what's not what needs to be improved what you should leave behind so that that's been a wonderful experience for us. And so so I guess I'm I'm also wondering you have this I mean to me you you have an interesting model in that so many clients come into service right way 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 beyond what one person could ever remote, remotely manage which you know why you've ended up with a half a dozen mm-hmm. uh but you don't necessarily need advisors that drive a lot of business development because you've got a machine for that's right. Going out and doing these workshops that I'm going to presume just keeps growing as you build your reputation and your your experience and your network. So you have, to me, like a very unique balance of how high of a volume of clients you can bring in, but then yourself, but then how high of a volume of clients that need to be served. So how do you approach just the process of hiring advisors and staffing up? Like, where do you find the advisors and how do you train the advisors to do this within the firm? Yeah. It, it's all, it's all come from majority of our advisors at the firm. It comes through referrals and that they, they know that we're a, a, for intents and purposes, a marketing machine, you know, mm-hmm. that that's what they hear about us. So, um, so through a current advisor, he may refer 
another advisor through maybe going to a conference if you would and go, hey, you know, um, I've got several hundred clients that I've acquired over the last, uh, you know, 10 years. Well, how did you do that? Yeah. I, you know, the, the guy I'm working with has been in the business for, you know, 25 years plus. I'm his junior advisor, but he has less than 100 clients, you know. How is it that you're doing this? So they tell the story and then they come in for an interview. We interview not so much on the credentials, Mike. I've hired the most intelligent CAPs. They've got all these designations. They haven't worked out. And because they didn't want to, they either didn't want to do the transactional side of it, you know, they wanted to go into much more of the planning side of it, or they didn't want to make those drives. You know, they don't want to be on the freeway for, you know, the two plus hours every day. Um, you know, in a different, in different circumstances, obviously. Or some of them, you know, you try and teach them certain things about somebody in transition. For example, that whole unemployment insurance thing. And they go, John, that's not why I got my designation. I, know, I don't want mm. to do something like that for free. I want to charge. If I'm going to sit with somebody and have them go through the application, if you would, with unemployment insurance, should I not be able to charge for that? Well, we don't. That's part of our goodwill. That's our outreach, if you would. So okay. the advisors I have are, are fantastic. They've got empathy. They understand that we're going to teach them everything they need to know specific to somebody in transition. And that's your niche. You want to sign on to that? This is the company to be with. So then, like, what are you – hiring for or screening for i mean if it's if it's not credentials because you're going to teach them what they need to know about working with clients and transition like what what do you assess or evaluate to try to figure out who's going to be a good fit or not uh the first and foremost the human skills are they personable do they care if i tell if, in the interview process if i'm telling sad stories about somebody in transition i have plenty of those michael where people are just absolutely heartbroken Right, and, you know, losing your job in the form of a layoff is—you know—it happened to me. It's—it's—it's it's, it's not a nice experience. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there. I mean, thousands that I've been in front of that are absolutely turned upside down. So we're looking for somebody with good human skills. And what does that mean? That just means that are the Unique enough where they have their own life story? Have they experienced people before? They've gone through layoffs? Do they understand the dynamics there? Um, that's what we're looking for. Interesting. And so it sounds like you're getting people who may have some some level of experience in, in the industry because they're you know they're coming through you by word of mouth to the firm and what you're doing. Yes. Um, but I'm going to presume then still tending to be younger and still learning and you're hiring them much more for the the human skills the communication skills if i tell them a sad story are they showing and relating and demonstrating the empathy that you would hope to see them then conduct in front of clients that's great and and that's how you're evaluating them that's right so what surprised you the most about this journey of building an advisory business the amount of people out there that really need financial assistance. I mean, we, we come across a lot of people and these people may have current advisors. They may not. But as one of my managers at one point at one of my uh, 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 firms I worked at said, John, 
one thing that I could say in order for everybody to grasp is the responsibility. You have a responsibility as being a licensed professional to offer people financial advice. And that doesn't mean they have to have HNW on a resume, high net worth. Go through, go through life since you're in front of a lot of people and just be generally interested in their financial life but themselves and, and make that your story and everything else will come later. And that's been very true. I have spent, Michael, an enormous amount of time on these do-it-yourselfers, these people that, that mm. want to take up your time, that uh, you know, have no intentions of doing business with you. And, you know, occasionally I get um, sidestepped, if you would, on that. And I still very seldom, but on occasion, will meet with somebody and, uh, you know, boy, I should have known better, if you would. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a lot more articulate with that. I'm a lot, I'm an extremely um, concerned about the way I use my time because I do want this firm to grow. But this is not about John. This is about my employees at this point in my life. This is about what they want out of it and truly deliver that experience. So, um, you know, and I've had I've had advisors come into this company that uh, that I should never have hired. It was not a good fit. So, um, you know, after the fact that being in the state of California, you have kind of the, well, they're my clients, but they're your clients. They're your clients, but they're my clients, right? Yeah, you know, just the, the the challenge over who gets to continue with the client relationship yeah, in that is. world of you know, I I brought the client to the firm and you service the client for the firm. So you may have had the servicing relationship, but you wouldn't have had it if the firm hadn't provided that relationship to you. And yeah, that creates tension in a lot of firms. Right, our retention ratio here is over ninety eight point five percent. You know, extremely high retention ratio. People come in. People come here as clients because they're going through a difficult time in their life. We're there with empathy. We're there because we know what we're doing. I mean, I, I jokingly tell clients, "Listen, for the 15, first fifteen years, I was trying to figure this out. You know, now I know my stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're going through a transition. You really need to be at John Stokes Financial because we know how to take care of you, top to bottom. So." How do you handle the ones when you find and realize they're not a good fit? They're, you know, they're a DIYer and it's clear that they're not going to work for you, but you know, you, we still try to handle those moments with grace. Uh, just from the heart, just uh, listen. Um, two different ways. Obviously, one from the heart, just tell them that we're probably not the best fit for you. Why? We don't have to give a reason. We just 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 feel that uh, maybe at this point where we're going and where you're at, we're probably not a good fit. So you know, stay where you're at, or you know, go elsewhere. Um, and, and you don't give a further reason than that. Not really. I'm, I'm not not required to. I mm-hmm. not something that I need to explain away, if you would. Yeah. Um, and the other would be more. We're not quite ready at this point. We've got, you know, as you can appreciate, you came to us from from a company. There's a lot of layoffs going on there. We need to prioritize our time. We'll get to you when we get to you type of thing, if you don't mind. You're okay right now, where you're at right now. You're okay. Might not be perfect. Might not be what you want. If you want, need to shop around, by all means, go and do it. But we'll, we'll come back to you at some later date and we'll, we'll talk about this, if you would. And- and because you know, by the time you come back to them, they they will have gone on to other things or be doing right. it themselves. Because you can already tell they're do it yourself first. 
That's right. So, so just in inserting a pause and waiting period, and then the process sorts it out for itself with that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And you know, we make our mistakes, and you know, I've certainly signed up people over the over the years where, as I'm signing up, I'm going, oh boy, this this could be a difficult client. This is this is one of these clients that you know the market goes down. It's my fault. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, we don't need that. Everything that we do now is discretionary. This is the way that we operate. We tell them up front. We make the decisions here. This is this is what we're going to do. If that's not what you want, please don't come on because uh, we, we have no interest in you coming us telling us our job. So, what was the low point for you on this journey? It was. It was actually. It all came at the COVID period, where, as I said earlier, it was all go, go, go on that treadmill. We're all out there. We're all producing. COVID hits. And then that face-to-face meetings that we have, those seminars, came to halt. Came to like a sudden screeching halt. Screaming halt. One, I guess I, I would imagine in particular, just you're, you're out in California, and California was you know, particularly proactive very early on in, right. in, in shutdowns and social distancing and limiting groups. So right. like you, you were really in an environment that just, it got stopped. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. But there were still layoffs, and so these these maybe centers of influence or my reach outs, you know, I um, I participate in a lot of uh, other types of events where HR events, different things, all that came to a screaming halt, and it went virtual, it went virtual very quickly, and that was that's a that's a skill set going from having face to face presentations and now doing this yeah. virtually. It, it, it and so I had to, and I'm still in the process of developing that skill set, fine tuning our presentations, right? Because it's easy to be in eye to eye contact with somebody for the most part and going, let's get to that next meeting. Just your just your energy alone can portray that that level of confidence to get you to that meeting. Whereas virtually, you know, in some cases, I don't even get to see who I'm presenting in front of. So that comes, Michael, with a new skill set that I'm still learning. Uh, as I said earlier, prior to COVID, we we're licensed in maybe t- you know ten states or so. Now I'm licensed in every state because we're getting these virtual meetings from all across the country and people participating all across the country. That's a positive, but the negative side of that is I have to be an expert on almost every state's unemployment insurance, if you would. Right. And majority and, of those states have different rules. Interesting. So the, so the like the good news, air quotes, good news. The good news of of COVID and being driven virtually is it unlocks a whole market in forty nine states beyond California's right. as large as California is. But like you, you, you open up a whole whole huge broader market of companies that you can get in front of, and it's pretty straightforward to do it uh, in virtual workshop format, but. Uh, you know, there's still a domain-specific knowledge of unemployment insurance rules in that state. Not all the states are the same, and so all the efficiency you had of knowing California cold is now kind of disrupted because you got to learn a whole bunch of new states as you go through each workshop in whatever state that company's employees are in. That's correct. So, how do the how do the one-on-ones after the workshop work? In a virtual environment, is it still kind of the same thing? Like the company will 
open up your time and calendar the employees in 15 to 30 minute minute intervals and you just have like eight hours of Zoom meetings, 15 and 20 minutes at a time all day long? Essentially, yeah. Um, we give them opportunity to, you know, to, to, to take advantage of the what we call the, the, the consultation. I don't like to use the word free if you would because, you know, that, that, that downplays what ultimately will take place in the consultation. But we're going to offer consultation. And that typically is just a dialogue. Where you're at, where you're living, what your circumstances, why were you laid off, how's your severance, and take a look at the, what I call the moment. Let's, let's take a breather and look at where you're at now. And then I go into, you know, where would you like to be and getting more into that whole roadmap experience, if you would, with them on the Zoom. And is it working as well as what it, you know, with face-to-face? -face? No, it's not. Uh, I'm a great believer that if you get somebody in front of you, the probability of you doing business with them is much more higher than doing like a mm. virtual experience. And I always listen to your uh, your podcast, but I, you know I've listened to the ones that do virtual and they've they've figured it out. But for me, in my style, I've got to have face to face meetings. And and and, mm. and and don't get me wrong. I mean, we're signing up clients all across the country that have very large portfolios. Um, and that may be because they're not got a financial advisor, they're getting into a layoff and, oh, okay, well, John's going to handle maybe this rollover, right? He's in front of me. He seems to know what he's doing here. Well, let me just hand it over to him. So what do you know now that you wish you could like go back and tell you from 10, 20 years ago when you were still in the early days? Uh, less transactional. Mm. I, 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 looking back – it was absolute chaos. And if I had started maybe with like a minimum back then, I mean, as you said earlier, if you got a $100,000 rollover 20 years ago, you're, that's equivalent to a million plus these days, right? Um, so just getting, getting into the whole fee-based environment a lot earlier, I think would have been extremely helpful. So what um, would you have, what would you have told yourself to actually get you there though? I mean, you well, <laughs> you, you started transactional and stayed for a while. Like, what was what was not connecting, or were you not seeing fee based originally? It was more. Boy, I have to learn a whole new skill set here. I, number one, mm. I wasn't licensed in the the sixty six. You know, I didn't have that. So, okay, I've got to take a week off, maybe. And I was just so busy. I taking a day off for me was just something I couldn't do. So just, you know, stepping back and looking at my future and going, hmm, do I want to do I want to maintain this transactional way of doing it? I knew earlier on that was not what I wanted. It was just I couldn't be brave enough if I would, or I couldn't take that moment to look at my future and go, oh, well, it, it wasn't until my manager and the compliance said, John, we need you. It was a forced issue. We need you to stop here, slow down, and look at this from this standpoint. Interesting. Interesting. So what advice would you give younger, newer advisors coming in today? Find that inner passion. My niche is something I created 20 years ago when the word niche was never discussed. As I said earlier, my management thought I was, you know, was, what do you mean you're helping people only in layoffs? What, why would you do that? So 
find, find whatever it is that absolutely wakes you up in the morning and you're ready to go and get that niche. To me, that is absolutely imperative. And once you ascertain what that niche is and determine what it is, live it, breathe it, study it, get mentors out there if they're doing it, and just do it and be proud about what you do. As I said earlier, we're licensed professionals. Be proud of what we do. Use that license for the better good of society and yourself. And and how do you figure out what the niche should be? Like how do you arrive at what yours is? Mine came from my prior life experience. When I got laid off, it, mm. it, uh, you know, my father got laid off. So find, find circumstances in your life that maybe you had prior experiences. Maybe you dealt with financial advisors before that, that you, I don't want to be like that person. I don't want to be that way. Mm. I want to be this way. So ultimately, I don't think I can articulate that, Michael, other than find that inner passion because this business now allows you to do that and you're expected to do that. You're expected to be in that niche from day one. So what comes next for you from here? Um, I I love the fact that I can have the Rainmaker title, if you would, because I absolutely love what I do. Um, Mm married to what I do and telling that story and, and meeting with the clients and having face-to-face meetings or these virtual meetings. That's my calling, Michael. The behind the scenes, I've built in a great infrastructure, a core of excellent advisors, and we're real comfortable in that respect. Our goal is to double what we're at now, and I believe that we'll just do that purely and simply of organic growth. Very cool. Very cool. So as we wrap up, this is a podcast about success. And one of the themes that comes up is just the, the word success means different things to different people. And so, you know, you've had this wonderfully successful fast growth business and, you know, extraordinary flow of clients and now scaling up even further. And so the, the business is doing very, very well. How do you define success for yourself at this point? At this point in my life, it's all about balance. Spending much more quality time with my wife and my children, um, getting back and knowing my family members more. Um, because for a certain period, you know, it was all go, go, and I missed out on that opportunity. And just balancing out that, um, I'm biking now uh, about 100 miles a week. So, you know, I'm getting myself wow. back to, yeah, right. <laughs> I've got oh, a, that's a lot of biking. Okay. I've got a bike ride next weekend. I'm doing it's 100. It's 100 miles, 7,000 feet of climbing. So um, give me a call the following week, Michael, and we'll do another yeah. podcast. And let's see how I feel then. That's, that's, that's <laughs> quite a ride with that much, that much elevation. Yeah. So we hear about this a lot, uh, in this, especially in this day and age, where work-life balance. For me, it's just balancing out all those important things that maybe I didn't have as much time to, to be involved in. I own a semi-pro soccer team. Um, so I'm Very doing cool. that now. So I'm, I'm a mentor to these these players on my team that have a lot of struggles in their life. They're young men. Um, so I spend as much time. I go out to every practice. I pick up the balls for them. I, I, I take their water to the games. I do things now Very where cool. I can look at this and go, all right, I've achieved a lot, but there's a lot more to do for other people. 
Well, very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, John, for joining us on the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Michael, I've had a lot of fun today. Thank you very much. Likewise. Thank you. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com, where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the members section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits, along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com.